0: All right, what are we going to do with this story? The first thing to say, of course, is that Jesus is in the, on the borderlands between Galilee and Samaria, and that's not to be dismissed, because borderlands are strange places, aren't they? They're, they're liminal places. They're between one thing and another. You know when you go to an airport or a bus station to go somewhere, you're no longer where you were, but you're not yet where you're going you're in a liminal space. And I find those places um, quite interesting and exciting. And that's where Jesus is, and of course that's where Jesus spends most of his ministry, particularly in the Gospel of Luke, which is our gospel for this year. Where else would he be but in a liminal space where strange things can happen and old certainties are no longer as certain. But what might be coming isn't that clear. And this is a great story for the Gospel of Luke because it's like a perfect little story. There's ten people, and ten is one of the numbers of completeness in the Hebrew Scriptures. They all call out for mercy. They call out saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And mercy is one of the great strengths of Luke's Gospel. Right at the beginning of the Gospel, in the whole of the first chapter, uh, particularly Mary and Zechariah, they prophesy about mercy being the gift that's going to come for the world. And they're, they're calling out for it. And then they, they trust in Jesus because he says to them, go and show yourself to the priest. And the text says they went. And as they went, they were made clean. It's really fascinating. It doesn't explain anything about how it happened or anything. It's almost as if it's a sort of, a oh oh, yeah, and by the way... As they were going, oh yeah, I forgot to mention, oh, yeah, they were clean, so they trust Jesus, and they get and they go and they 're made clean they 're made whole, and this is the whole of the Jesus project where he, he begins the whole of his ministry in a in a synagogue, a perfect place to begin, and he says, "The spirit of the Lord is on me, He has anointed me to bring to bring good news to the poor to bring sight to the blind, freedom from oppression and release to the captives and to explain or expound or declare this is the year of God's favour. Like Those words are like the PowerPoint slides for Jesus' whole ministry and the rest of the gospel just fills this out all the time. And boy, didn't these ten experience good news because they're lepers They have some form of a skin disease. It may have been the leprosy that we understand scientifically today. It may have been any mixture of skin diseases. But what it meant was they were ostracised. They were not part of community. They were liminal themselves. They were between. They were not dead, but neither were they fully alive because they weren't part of community. And if you're not part of community, how do you acknowledge yourself to be fully alive and fully human? So they experience good news, the good news Jesus is talking about. They experience life as a gift. It just turned up out of nowhere as they're walking along to do the right thing. One minute they're not, the next minute they're clean. It's a great story and it ought to finish there. But it doesn't. It's really strange. So why do we have the rest of the story? Then one of them, the text says, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. The, often the way I've heard this story told, and like many of you, I've been hearing this story over and over again. We follow the lectionary, so every three years we get it, and we learnt, learnt about it, those of us who can remember going to Sunday school. Often the story we get is, well, The nine were okay, but the real Christian was the tenth one because he did what your mum always taught you to do, which was to say thank you. You have to be grateful, and whatever they give you, say thank you. But we've turned it into a kind of a morality play that there are good people in the world, of course, but then there's us, and we're sort of gooder. That's no, not real English, but that's what we, we. We're just. Because we see and we understand and we do just a little bit more than everyone else because we know how it's supposed to be. We're the real Christians. The nine were deficient. The one, he had his act together. But when you think about it, the nine did exactly as they were told. It's the one who turned back who disobeyed what Jesus told him to do. He, everyone's supposed to go, go to you know, there's a whole Jewish thing. You go to the priest, and the priest checks that your skin is healed, and then you're allowed to re-enter community. It's a significant thing. So that's what they all do, except for one. He disobeys. So he's not really the good guy that everyone sort of paints him out to be. But then Jesus says, get up, and go your way, your faith has made you well. But all of them had faith. And all of them are well. So what's the point of the right last bit of the story? If 10 is one of the numbers of completeness in the Hebrew way of thinking, then all of it's been changed. The year of God's favour, the last bit of Jesus' prophecy in Uh, in the synagogue in Luke 4 the year of the Lord's accepting the world as it is and bringing it into the world as God wants it to be that's all happened that's what 10 means I think what we're seeing here is not a study in how things must be to receive wellness because wellness just turns up just God just does it because that's God's nature. What this is, is a study, this last part of the story, is a study in how you might respond. For example, we all will eat, I hope, God willing, sometime today we will eat food. And it will be fuel for our bodies, for all of us, because that's how our bodies work. We'll all just do that. But some of us could choose to pay attention to the food we're eating. We could choose to pay attention to, to one small tomato. The smell of it, the taste of it. Think about where it came from and just glory in it. You know, put a little bit of salt and a bit of pepper on it, maybe a tiny bit of olive oil, get a basil leaf, and suddenly it's changed. It'll still become fuel for your body and the people who just shove it in and don't think about it, they'll still get all they need to get from it. But isn't there a significant difference? If you're a child and the people who love you prepare a special meal for you, the one, the food that you really, really like, and they invite you to the table and they say, this is a special f- feast for you because we love you, or because it's your birthday, or because it's Christmas, or just because the sun is shining, or whatever reason. Here it is. Well, again, you could just shovel it in and go, oh, well, that was great. That's my favourite food. I love it. Or you could, as you're eating it, remember, this is being done for me for no other reason than that. these people love me. And it changes the taste of it and the flavour of it and it changes how you experience it. Your life opens up. It's like you can tell people that you love them And you can hug them and kiss them. Who doesn't want to be hugged and kissed? Well, maybe some of you. I don't know. But I love it. I'll take anything I can get. (laughs) From most, nearly everyone. (laughs) I'm not any more loved by the people who love me. But I experience it. My life opens up. Jesus said... The world as God wants it to be, the world as God imagines it to be, the world as God sees it, the real world as it is, Jesus describes it as a feast over and over again in the Bible. He talks about it being a feast where everyone comes and everyone eats. In fact, he demonstrates it a couple of times in Luke's Gospel. Once he feeds 5,000 people and another time he feeds 4,000 people and each time there's a mountain of food left over. It's all about abundance. It's about a feast. We are a community of revelers. We're a community of gluttons and drunks. According to Jesus' enemies, he was so involved in feasting and enjoying and in celebrating the life that he'd been given and that he was sharing with his friends. And with anyone who was interested. That his enemies called him a drunk and a glutton. Now, you can eat too much once. And everyone goes, you shouldn't eat so much. You can drink a little bit more than you should once and get a bit happy. But if you do it over and over again, you've got to do it a few times before somebody is able to label you as a drunk and a glutton. Jesus lived this life. I think the 10th the, 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 the letter, the 10th sufferer is a story about joy and abundance. Everyone gets it. Everyone gets healing. Everyone is brought in. Jesus says in John's Gospel, when I'm lifted up, I will draw everyone to me. Everyone gets in. Everyone gets joyed, full of joy. But every, not everyone lives in joy. And that's what I think that 10th leper is calling us to, to live in joy. It turns out there is such a thing as a free lunch. You know why I know that? Because we do it, probably if you're a good uniting church, we do it every month. We have tiny little bits of bread and tiny little bits of grape juice. But what we mean by that is there's a symbol of, of a living in a resistance against the idea that everything is small and mean. We, be, we do that every month, and you did it, obviously, in Melrose, some of you. Ate together and celebrated what it meant to be alive and to be fully human. I want to think that our churches, should, we should forget 90% of what we do and just get together and eat and drink and get a reputation for being a bunch of drunks and gluttons. as long as we're inviting everybody else in. That's the life that Jesus is living here. That's the life that I think he's telling us about in this story.